James 1, verse Just one verse today, James 1, verse 12. This is God's holy word. It's given to us, breathed out by the Spirit through servants appointed to give these words to us, passed down through the ages, through God's providence, that we hold uh, these words, the very words of God, in our hands. Let's give our attention to the reading of this word. James 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man... Who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're all familiar with the idea of a reward at the end of something, the end of a long run. A long and hard run brings the feeling of relief when you're able to stop and sort of that kind of a relaxation comes over your whole body. Maybe you grab a a glass of of ice water and able to sort of enjoy the hard work that you put in. The end of schooling brings a, a ceremony, graduation parties with delicious food and fellowship with friends. The end of a a working life brings uh, many times a a slower-paced retirement, more time to pursue interests uh, towards the end of life. And sometimes, though, there is, is confusion or hesitancy to relate this dynamic to the Christian life, to the end of the Christian life, reward at the end of it. Because especially as as Reformed Christians who understand that the beauty of, of grace alone, we're thinking about that the last couple of weeks around Reformation Day. Reformation Day was uh, yesterday officially, and last Sunday, of course, uh, Reverend Brinks did a wonderful job reminding us of many of those Reformed doctrines. We think of all the, the blessings and the, and the benefits that we enjoy in this life right now, knowing Christ and knowing the, the glory of sins forgiven and welcomed into fellowship and communion with him. Many Christians would say, well, that's, that's all we need. We need to understand that we're sort of living in the, the, the glory of the gospel now, and that certainly is true. Yet, nevertheless, the Bible is not shy to speak about the, the notion of rewards, the truth of rewards that await Christians who persevere to the end in faith and hope and love. It's all by the power of God. It's all through the the grace of God. And yet, uh, before us today, we have this verse that James puts before us under the inspiration of the Spirit. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. When he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Going to have to unpack this carefully and think through uh, how we relate this to many of the promises we find in Scripture, but we trust God to, to, uh, to work and move as we do so. Here's our central idea, life-transforming reality this morning. Since God's eternal kingdom is something that we strive to obtain, we must cultivate faith and hope and love by God's grace so that we are more equipped to withstand 
the pressures and the trials of this life. Since God's eternal kingdom is something we strive to obtain, we must cultivate faith, hope, and love by God's grace so that we are more equipped to withstand the pressures and the trials of this life. First, the meaning of this crown. When James is talking about this crown, what does he mean? Well, blessed is the man. That's a language that is a beatitude in Scripture. Something we call a beatitude. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. That man is called blessed. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed is the one who hungers and thirsts after righteousness, for they, he shall be satisfied. When we see this language pop up in Scripture, this blessing, this blessedness, what is it talking about? There have been, there's at least one modern translation that translates most of those beatitudes happy. Happy is the man who perseveres under trial today in James. Or happy is the one who hungers and thirsts after righteousness. But it's important to note that the scriptures are not speaking about an emotional state here. So happy really isn't the, the best way to think about this. When we're talking about this blessedness, what we're talking about is God's favor. The favor of his kingdom. The, the wonders, the blessings, the ultimate and absolute blessings of God's kingdom. The one who is called blessed or blessed, he or she is the one sharing in all the glories that God gives in and through his kingdom and his gospel. It's certainly what James is talking about here and certainly what we find in other beatitudes in scripture. Blessed is the one that is God's, that is a, a a way of talking about God's favor. So it's not an emotion that's obtained through our own human-centered effort. In other words, strive to obey what James says here and you'll achieve some sort of happiness. This blessing is a blessing of God's favor and a blessing of his kingdom. And this blessedness is centered in this verse in front of us, just this one verse this morning, in the crown of life. What is the crown of life? Well, it's mentioned elsewhere in Scripture. Revelation 2, chapter 2, verse 10 says this. The Apostle John says there under the inspiration of the Spirit, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. In Revelation, that's really just a way of saying a short time you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Uh, The book of Revelation, certainly at the beginning especially, is an appeal to the early church to do it, to hold on to their faith, to persevere, looking to Christ and trusting him, to not renounce their Savior. And later on in the book, what it's describing is many of the, the glories of the eternal state, many of the miseries of eternal condemnation. It's putting that before us, putting that before the early church to say, continue trusting in Christ, continue living according to God's grace. For here is the blessedness that awaits all of those. So John, through the Holy Spirit, is saying, endure, persevere, and you will receive this crown of life. The Apostle Paul speaks in similar ways when he speaks of a crown of righteousness. We see a relationship between the crown of life, the crown of righteousness, when he speaks in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Henceforth, Paul says, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also all who have loved his appearing. 
But Paul says there is this universality to this crown of righteousness. It's all those who have loved the appearing of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The Apostle John says uh, this crown of life is awaiting all of those who endure and persevere in faith. So we are to understand that as we unpack this in James, this is something that is for all believers. This is not some kind of special reward. Some people have looked at this passage and said, well, what James is talking about here is really a blessing for super-Christians, right? Because not everyone's going to persevere under trial, and James is talking about sort of this, this, this wonderful Christian who, when faced with trial, when faced with tribulation in this life, uh, he or she sort of rises above, rises to the occasion, and shines in this unbelievable way. And so it's, it's sort of this added blessing that you would receive in eternity. Thinking here of, of graduation ceremonies. Everyone has the cap and the gown, but some people are outfitted with other kinds of things, either wrapped around their neck or perhaps on their, their hat, their cap, that signifies, well, they had sort of special achievements in their time as, as a student here. Uh, you know, the, the tassels or certain kinds of things that would signify that. That's not what James means here with the crown of life. This is a universal Christian blessing and blessedness. In other words, what James is describing is something that's universal to Christian experience. All believers need to pay attention to what James is talking about here. As I mentioned earlier, we're going to unpack this prudently, carefully, make sure that we hold on to salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Yet James says here that it is those who persevere who will receive this crown, the crown of life, the reward of eternal life itself. In other words, Perseverance, in whatever way we, we understand that in, in the context and relating it to other scriptures, it's not optional in the Christian life. Perseverance is not optional. It may take many different forms, and it certainly does. And God will be the judge of all of those things. And it may be something that's even beyond our human ability to see and perceive and know perfectly in this life, which is certainly true. But perseverance is a necessary component to the Christian life. One author says it this way. Enduring trials is not optional for believers, nor is there a special or unique reward for believers who persevere when tested. All believers must stand fast when buffeted in order to obtain the crown of life. Persevering under trials does not suggest some kind of perfectionism. In other words, this isn't saying that we're never going to sin, we're never going to stumble, we're never going to fall. It simply means that we do not forsake Jesus Christ when tested. So this perseverance leads to the reward. The crown is eternal life, and every believer will receive this crown at the end of life. That's what the crown means. What is the way, the way to the crown we see James lay out before us? It's in many ways challenging to us because we feel like there is some conditionality in this language. Blessed is the one who does this, for when he does, or after he does, he will receive this blessing. Now, James, his context here, of course, is one of trials. What is a trial? How would we define that? I found a, a definition that I think is, is, really, is really quite good. It says this, A trial is any difficulty in life that may threaten our faith in Christ or faithfulness to Christ. Any difficulty in life that may threaten our faith in Christ or faithfulness to Christ. So we could think of physical illness. 
financial reversal or difficulty, the death of a loved one, and, and any number of things that we may face in this world and in this life that may present a threat to our faith or our faithfulness. All of those kinds of challenges that we know we will find in this life confront us with certain questions. Do we trust God? Do we love him even though we don't like our current circumstances? Do we believe his word? Do we trust that he exists? Is the gospel worth it? Is the call of the gospel worth it? Those who say that they believe in an all-powerful and an all-loving God have to answer these questions when life does not go their way. There's a pressure that's applied to our faith in the midst of challenge, in the midst of trial. Many of us will say, uh, and, and certainly there is some truth to this, that there are Christians in other parts of the world that undergo persecutions and trials that we do not see. And there is, of course, a lot of truth to that. But unless we're willing, we're willing to recognize and be ready for many of the challenges and trials that are bound to confront us in this life because we live in a fallen world, a world that's plagued by sin and death, division and strife and many things that ask of us these questions, do you still love God even in the midst of your circumstances? Do you still trust that he is all-powerful, that he is in control? Is Christ still the most beautiful thing even in the midst of all you are enduring? We all face these things and trials thus are universal to Christian experience and we need to be ready. We spoke a couple of weeks ago about the idea of withstanding or persevering in the midst of trials. And the image there, I said, is someone who's able to carry a heavy load for a long distance. I used the example of a summer camp where I worked as a counselor. Many of the, the, the stronger, older students, we would give a, a very heavy cross and they would carry it all the way up the, the driveway of the camp, which is a very long drive. It's a very uh, a, a long and a hard task. To endure, and we've seen it on things like uh, those world's strongest man competitions, where they they lift up this amazingly heavy weight, and they're straining, and you see their their face is all this concentration and energy being expended, and their veins are bulging out. You can tell every each and every step is a test in and of itself. That's what this word perseveres means. Hupomeno uh, means a perseverance, an ability to withstand. And that is the image used because, as we've said, trials put pressure on our faith. There's resistance that's placed upon our faith. And James says, when or after we have stood the test, this is when the fullness of this blessing will be known. This is not to say that there are no blessings that are known and enjoyed in this life and in Christ. One commentator puts it this way, this blessing is something Christians can enjoy in this life as they experience the goodness of God and the spiritual joy that he brings to us. So abiding in Christ, walking by the Spirit, means that a lot of those blessings are really given to us, in a sense, from the future, through the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, assurance of God's love. We are assured that he loves us, that he has called us and made us his children. There's a a peace of conscience for all Christians who live in the certainty that their sins are forgiven and that on the last day, the blood of Christ and the work of Christ will be that which finally saves. There is joy in the Holy Spirit, even in the midst of trials and tribulations and challenges. There's a joy 
that comes from having the abiding presence of God to comfort us and to lead us into all truth. But uh, all of these things stem from ultimately the blessing of eternal life. And eternal life is something that is fully known and fully experienced when that crown is finally rewarded to those who stand the test. James uses an adjective here. For when this person has become approved, when they, have, uh, when they can be described as this way, tested and approved. The image of the crown itself is something that is a, it's not a sign primarily here of royalty, it's reward at the end. Back then the competition in the games that we've heard about the ancient Olymp- Olympic games and their gold medal was really a, a crown that was a wreath worn by those who were victorious in competition. The Apostle Paul speaks a similar way when he says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. As we think about this, our reformed ears start to perk up a little bit. We want to make sure that, especially around the time of, of Reformation Day, we want to make sure that we understand this in light of being saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Obviously, what James is saying here is not meant to and cannot cast any doubt on the fact that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. What James is teaching through God's authority, by the power of the Spirit, is that the Christian life is a life. It would be a much simpler if someone trusts in Christ, God grants them faith through the power of the gospel, recognize their sin, and they look to the Savior, and they're immediately whisked up to heaven. That would make it a little bit simpler, but that's not the way, generally speaking, that the Christian life goes. There is a life that is there for us to live. So in the time of the Reformation, uh, the great, our great forefathers in our tradition, our wonderful and beautiful doctrines of grace, squared this with Scripture using really important distinctions. And I'm going to teach one of those distinctions through this illustration. When faith lays hold of Christ, we are brought into the family of God. A true faith means that we are irreversibly made a child of God. But that is the beginning of our Christian journey, our journey in glorifying and loving God. And so God says to us at that time, I'm now bringing you home. I'm bringing you home to myself. It is a long journey. There are twists and turns that you don't expect. But trust in me because I will get you there. Here's everything you need for the journey. A map. Knowledge of the, the, the course that you have to go. Courage in order to go that way. And p- the peace of knowing that I have made you my own. But here is really the, the, the ultimate kicker of this illustration. God says to us, all the strength and all the energy and all the sustenance that you need in order to get there will be from me. So walk in faith. And I will give it to you as you need it. And when you finally arrive there, and this, is, this will be the universal Christian experience too. When you finally arrive there, you will know that it was I who got you there.
That's what God says, the beginning of the journey of faith. Here's everything you need. And when you come up to a point where you need something else, trust in me, I will give it. And when you get there, you, will, you and everyone else will see that it was I who got you there. One author puts it like this, we must gut it out and make it over the finish line. But those who make it over the finish line know that they have made it over the line because God has appointed them to run. He is the one who has given them the grace and the energy and strength to run until the end. So he gets all of the glory. So we are given a right unto all these inestimable blessings by the grace of God. And he saves us by his grace. And we enjoy the blessings of his grace in his life. But the full flowering of that salvation is when by God's grace we arrive at the end of our journey and he, and he places upon us the crown of life. Perseverance may be 80, 90, 100 years for some. It may be one day in the faith. It may even be according to the mysterious workings of God's grace and we have explicit, an explicit example of this in scripture. It may be just a few moments at the end of life. But according to God's working, there will be a real and a tested and a genuine faith that God will look upon, understanding it as his own work, and yet bestow upon it the crown of life. So what does this do then? James putting this before us, this beatitude for the battle. Blessed is the one who perseveres. What does it do? It motivates us to run the race of the Christian life, not out of a slavish fear. Right? That's not understanding it in light of the gospel. We don't run out of a slavish fear, but a joyful confidence that we are his children and that he is bringing us home and that he's providing us with all that we need for the journey. This is exactly what Paul speaks of in Philippians 3, if many of you remember our journey through the book of Philippians, where Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. He says, I want to know Christ. Why? Because his heart has been changed. And I want to know the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings and becoming like him in his death. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. Paul knows that this blessing has been given to him by God's grace. Yet he is striving to, to lay hold of it by faith. He says, not that I have already obtained all this. In other words, I haven't experienced the full flowering of this blessing. Uh, nor have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. He's already taken hold of him, and so he can run in that confidence. He says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. For those who come to a a verse like this, and they, they feel like the conditionality makes them uncomfortable. I'd like you to consider this here as we begin to bring this to a close this morning. God gives these conditions. Blessed is the one who perseveres. He gives these conditions to those whom he has elected unconditionally. God gives these conditions to those whom he has elected unconditionally. So we have a balance in scripture. Jesus says, all those whom the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out, and I will raise him up on the last day. 
This isn't given to us in order uh, for us to, to think that all of a sudden, all of those, some of those whom God had previously appointed to eternal life, they won't persevere to the end. That's not what's going on here at all. So we rest in the sovereign grace and the sovereign work of God, understanding that those to whom he grants true faith, true repentance, the presence of the Holy Spirit, he brings all of these things out, a perseverance that is certainly mysterious to our understanding, and it looks different in each case, but nevertheless, we understand that all those who have been given the grace to come to God in Christ, endure to the end. James finishes this verse as he zeroes in on a specific group of people who are those who actually obtain this blessing, the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. In other words, all those who love this God are those who obtain this blessing. So, We ask ourselves today, do we love him? Do we love him? Do you love this God who has provided for you to be reconciled to him, who has moved the wheels of history so that his son would be sent to this earth? And in the book of Acts, we read all the things that took place Uh, upon the the life of Jesus Christ and all of those great injustices that were were affected upon him, that it was all part of what God had predestined and predetermined to take place. He sent him so that he would live in our place and die in our place and be raised so that we would know this new life. Jesus Christ crucified on that fateful day so that God's justice would be satisfied, so that he would save us in accordance with his character, right? He didn't renounce his character in order to save us. His justice needed to be satisfied, and so he provided a way for his justice to be satisfied. Do you love that God? Do you love this God who has also orchestrated all things in your life to be able to bring you to a place where you would hear this message of good news and forgiveness? And if he has given you that new life in Christ, to understand that you would not have had it otherwise had he not worked in you. Had he not breathed that life into your very soul to be able to look to this Savior whom he has provided? Do you love this God whom we constantly run away from and we ignore his law and we break his commandments and yet nevertheless his grace and his mercy and the blood of Christ is there to cover us when we don't live Exactly like the character of our humble king, he continues to intercede for us. So do you love that God? And if you do, ask yourself, where does this love come from? Why and how do you love this God? We love him because he first loved us. If you love God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you love him because he loved you first. Let us love one another, for love comes from God. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Love, as all things in God's kingdom, begins with God. It begins with his action for us. So if you love God, you must know that he loved you first and that he set his, and that he set his love upon you. 
so that you would love him. God gives us faith by his grace. Love energizes our faith. Love that is rooted in God and awed by what he has done for us, understanding that it is, it is from the fountain of his love that we love him. And hope motivates us to run. Hope rooted in the faith of all his promises and taking seriously our call to stand firm in Jesus Christ. So if we love God, if we love him, it's because he has loved us first. And that gives us the assurance that it begins with his action. And by his sovereign grace, he brings his children home. And nevertheless, we read a verse like this and we say it motivates us to run because by his grace, we will lay hold of those blessings that he gives in his kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beatitude that you've given us for the battle that lies ahead, the race, the walk, uh, a long obedience in the same direction. You've given us all that we need. We know that you will sustain us, and that is part of the mystery of your working. We don't know what lies ahead of us, but we know that we need your strength and we need your grace. So continue, continue to fill our lives with all of these things that uh, we may be Uh, We may be those whom you describe in this verse. And we know that we can have that assurance as we continue uh, to trust in the promises of your gospel and understand that the faith that we have that trusts in Christ is a gift from you. And those gifts that you give are perfect. They are never revoked, never removed. So help help this verse to motivate us even as we stand in the confidence of, uh, of the grace that you give. In Christ's name, amen. Stand together and respond in song number 575 in our red hymnal, Soldiers of Christ Arise.